Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you. I am Brian Wilmarth. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met yet, I'm so glad that you're here. I hope uh, that we get a chance to do that. I'd love to do that maybe after the service. But we'd also love to connect with you at the Connections desk. So uh, stop by there if you're willing and grab that gift that the Edmondsons were referring to. Hey, I want to share some exciting news. Uh, just take a family moment to, to share about Kids Life. And so um, the Kids Life, our ministry has been growing. Uh, we've had an increase in numbers over the, the last several months, which has been awesome to, to experience and to see. And so we're going to actually make a couple of changes that we're really excited about that's going to allow us as a Kids Life ministry to step into this next season and to encourage and, and be ready for more growth as, uh, as we go in the coming months. So the change primarily has to do with the big kids' life room. It's our elementary school room where the kids gather for their big group time. They'll do worship and teaching. What we're going to do is we're going to transform that room, and it's actually even happening already, where we're going to add a whole bunch of games, arcade kinds of things, board games, Legos. We're going to build some uh, like booze, restaurant-style booze that kids can sit and talk and, and play together. And so we're transforming that room in January to just... Just allow for more connection for the kids. And so what we're going to do is we're going to allow that room to be open for our elementary school kids before and after service. So for families, here's the couple of things that you need to know. Starting at 945, you go to the check-in desk like always, but instead of dropping your kids off in the classrooms, you're going to drop them off in the big kids' life room. And they're going to be able to play and hang out with one another. And it gives our volunteers a chance for us to socialize and connect with the kids outside of our structured time, just a little more play and and having fun together. And then on the back end of service, the kids are going to be able to stay after service for a little while, for about 15 minutes, to continue to play. And so parents, you can go into the room and play with them. If you want to be there, you want to socialize a little bit, we'll create that space for you to do that. But checking in after you get your tags, you're going to drop your kids off and pick them up in that room. So again, this is elementary school, kindergarten through sixth grade. That's the big change. You're going to be able to go into that room. That's where you're going to drop them off and pick them up before and after service. And we're hoping that this allows for the kids just to be able to build some relationships in some more fun and and exciting kind of ways for them. So hopefully that's going to be cool for them. So that's the first change. The second is the playground. Since we're building and constructing the room for the elementary school kids, the playground is now going to be exclusively for under kindergarten age. So it's going to be our toddlers and our preschoolers. That is going to be the designated space for them. The benefit of this is it allows them to have their own space and to create a safer environment. It's one thing to have, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, sixth graders playing, but when you throw three-year-olds in there, like that's just not the best dynamic. So what we want to do is we want to create a space for our preschoolers to be able to play in that playground. So the playground will be only for preschool and under. And the elementary and above, they will be able to play in the big kids' life room. And so all of this is coming in January. So we're so excited about that. Be listening for more details, and we're going to tease a little bit more of the, the actual stuff in the coming weeks. But we're really excited. We're excited about the transformation this room's going to go through and how it's going to set up our kids' life ministry for the future. Because again, we're growing. 
We're excited about what God is doing, and so we want to create meaningful spaces for that. So I'm glad to share that with you, and uh, go peek back there in the coming weeks as, as we're finishing and putting everything all together, um, but, but be listening for more information in the next few weeks as we're ready to pull the trigger on all of this. So that's what I wanted to share with you, exciting stuff happening in kids' life. We're really looking forward to what God's doing. All right, well now, can we join together in prayer as we turn our attention to the scriptures? Lord, thank you. Thank you for meeting us. Thank you that you invite us into this space to be with you and with one another. God, it strikes me that that Christmas is almost already here, and, and for some of us, it might feel like, whoa, how did that happen? It comes so fast sometimes, and, and in the hurriedness, Lord, it can be really hard for us to pause, to, to slow down, to see you, and to see you are the reason we celebrate Christmas. It is your coming. It is uh, the fact that you became human, and it's your second coming that we look forward to. God, help us to slow down, to see you, and whatever it is that we're bringing with us, Lord. I pray that as we dive into today, as we walk through this series, that we are seeing that, Lord, You have fulfilled our longings and our anticipations. You have brought together all that is needed. And Lord, I pray. I pray we are able to rest in that, to trust you and to find the joy of your birth. So thank you, Father, for meeting us. Thank you for teaching us. We are ready to receive from you this morning. And so, Lord, speak. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So I want to ask you this question. Do you or have you had this moment where you felt like you were far from God? Where this you know, moment arose or maybe a, a situation or a circumstance where you just feel like, man, I, I don't really feel the Lord. I don't, I don't know if he's there. And, and, and I don't know where I stand with him. Maybe it's like you've had that, that kind of gap sort of thing, but maybe it's also one of those things where you're just like, am I pleasing him right now? Or is he, is he pleasing me or is he mad at me? Is he angry or frustrated with me? I mean, have you had these moments where you just, you feel that gap? I'm curious if you're in a, a situation like that right now. Or, or probably you can look back at some point in your life where you've just felt that, that distance. And you, you felt that uncertainty. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a situation does come where you feel that too. Have you wrestled with this question where you just, you feel the gap? You feel like you don't know where you stand with God. You feel like there's, there's distance between you and him. I'm curious if that, that maybe even feels a little bit like, if you remember the movie, The Wizard of Oz. So Dorothy and her friends, they're, they're all journeying. They want to go see the wizard. And you remember when they get there, that scene, they're in this big room, and there are these flames, and there's this giant image ahead, and, and they're terrified. Like, I'm curious if it just kind of feels like, I really don't know how to interact in, with the Lord right now. Like, this relationship, does it feel like it's kind of like the wizard? You feel that, that, that fear. That uncertainty. 
You don't know where you stand. Do you, do you even have access to him? Is he allowing you to approach? Like, have you, have you felt that? I think at moments where we do feel that. At moments where we do feel that, that gap and, and we don't know where we stand. Do we have access to the Lord? And what's our standing with him? And I think sometimes when we hit those moments, it causes a reaction in us. I think when we ask this question, like, can we know, can we have access, and can we know our standing, that leads us to respond, sometimes in the wrong kinds of ways. I think sometimes we we respond out of a control or a desire to manipulate like if we, we don't feel like things are right, so we got to make something change. We try to control the situation. I think, I think this happens for us sometimes. At Christmas time, we celebrate Jesus coming. We celebrate his birth. And, and I think sometimes we can picture Jesus in the manger as a baby. And that's safe, right? Oh, it's, it's good, like, it's peaceful, he's sleeping, it's so quiet, and, and we just feel the safety that comes with that. As a baby, Jesus is pretty non-threatening, right? But Jesus isn't going to stay a baby. He's going to grow up. And, and even, you see in the, the, the birth narrative, Simeon, you remember Simeon? So Jesus' parents, they bring him to the temple, present him, and Simeon's been waiting He's been waiting to see the Messiah. God told him, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. He's been waiting at the temple. And finally, the day happens. Jesus shows up and he's like, today's the day. And he proclaims this beautiful prophetic blessing over, over the family. But he says something to Mary. This one will cause the rise and fall of many in Israel. See, Jesus is going to grow up and he's going to bring a sword. He's going to bring challenge. It's not going to be all easy. Like there's going to be moments where it's going to feel challenging with Jesus. Sometimes we get in that safety with Christmas. But Jesus is going to grow up and he's going to challenge. What do we do when we feel like, is there a gap? So I want us to wrestle with this question today. Can we have access to God? And can we know our standing with him? Jesus is coming, it responds to that question. And it addresses our response. Sometimes where we want to control and coerce and manipulate the situation, Jesus coming actually responds to that. And he's going to say, here's the answer. Can we have access? Can we know? He's going to respond to that by his coming. So I invite you, if you would turn into Deuteronomy chapter 18, we're going to be looking at an Old Testament prophecy where we see Jesus coming in to fulfill. That's what we're doing in this series. We're calling it Fulfilled. And we're looking at these Old Testament anticipations, these longings, these foreshadowings that Jesus himself fulfills. And oftentimes at Christmas, we'll look at some of these prophecies. Well, these are the ones you typically don't see, but they're super important for understanding what Jesus came to do. So in Deuteronomy 18, we're going to see another one of these. Now, a little context. Moses, he has led the people out of Egypt. 
They've gone to Mount Sinai and they approach the promised land and they mess that up. So they wander for 40 years. They're at the end of that 40 years. The older generation has died off. The younger generation has risen up. And here, Moses, he's, he's preaching to them. He's, he's speaking to them and he, as they're about ready to go into the promised land. And in chapter 18, we get a comment that he reflects on that God showed to him. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see how Jesus fulfills it. So in Deuteronomy 18, we begin reading at verse 14. So he's talking about the promised land and the nations that currently live there. This is Moses speaking. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command, them, command him. And I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything that I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what the prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That's, that prophet has spoken presumptuously. So do not be alarmed. All right, so what do we have here? See, Moses, he's speaking to the Israelites and he's reminding them like, the Lord is wanting you to follow the covenant. Your parents failed, but I want you to obey. I want you to hold true and hold fast. But you're about to go in to the promised land. Now, I want to go back to verse 14 and look at that real quick here. Because what, what Moses is talking about is these nations that they're about to enter into the, the land. They already live there. He's reflecting on how do they practice some of their, their faith, their religion. And so they turn to divination or sorcery. And in the few verses right before, they'll even sacrifice their children. They'll, they'll put into practices to get the gods to do what they want them to do. And so what I want you to see is verse 14 is referencing these pagan practices, the way that they would carry out for a purpose. It was about control. It was about control. See, what these people would do is they wanted to produce some kind of outcome. We want a good crop this year. Okay, so how do we get that? We have to appeal to the gods. And so what we would do is we would sacrifice the right kind of sacrifice. Or we'd do the right kind of thing that would get the God to bless us, to give us favor, to give us what we're asking for. And so it was a formula. It was an equation. If I do this, then the God's got to do this. And it's about control. It's about having access to the God's favor. 
We want crops, so we do this. Then the God will give it to us. That was their practice. That was the heart of these practices of divination, of like, okay, how do we discern what we're supposed to do? It's the human tendency, right? We, we want to assert our control. We want to bring about whatever ends, whatever outcomes that we want. And so what do we do? We manipulate. We, we do the thing that we know will produce what kind of outcome we want. And so when Moses is sharing this with the people, he's saying, this is what they do. They do this to get what they want. Not so with you. Not so with you. See, he's going to contrast the people in, the, in, in Canaan, the way that they would practice their religion. He's saying, it's not so with you. You don't need to go do these things. Why? Verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. What? Okay, so they do these things. They, they practice divination. They practice sorcery. They, they, they exercise their control. Not so with you. You get a prophet. Interesting. Okay. Why is this part of the solution? Why is this a contrast? Well, real quick, what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who speaks for God. This person comes in and says, here's what the Lord wants to say to you. And this person then would also mediate the covenant, this relationship that the people have with God. It's like, okay, here's how the covenant goes. Here's how this relationship is to play out. The prophet communicates that. The prophet is one who's standing in and says, here, here's what you need to know. You don't need to turn to these other practices. You don't need to turn to these other things to say like, okay, how do I know if God is pleased with me? How do I know what he wants? How do I know? God's going to tell you. God's going to raise up a prophet like Moses to tell you what you want to know, what you need to know. If you want to know if you have access, God is raising up a prophet to show that you do. That, that is what Moses wants to communicate to the people. You don't need to turn to these other practices. If you're looking for certain kinds of outcomes, you can go to the prophet. And he's going to show you what you need to know. And so this prophet that Moses is referring to is going to speak for God. He's going to mediate the relationship. And so the people of Israel, they don't have to do these other things. They can look to this prophet. So who is this prophet? Well, throughout the history of Israel, prophets would come. They would speak for God. They would mediate the covenant. These kinds of things would happen, but over and over again, Israel failed. The prophets would sometimes fail. There's this gap, this lack. There's this, is there one who's going to come Who's going to be the prophet like Moses? Truly. Fast forward to the New Testament, the book of Acts. We get Jesus showing up on the scene and he's commissioned his followers and his followers are, are doing ministry. And in the book of Acts, chapter 3, 
we see Peter and John, they heal a man. They heal him, and, and then the crowd suddenly gathers around, and they see what's happening. And so Peter, he's speaking. And in verse 22, he's sharing about Jesus, and he gets to something very particular. Gets to our verse in Deuteronomy. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Peter is connecting the dots to say that the prophet, the prophet you're longing for has come. Listen to him. And then in Hebrews, right at the beginning of the book, chapter one, verse one, the author starts out and says, in the past, God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But, verse two, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. By his son, whom he had appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. God spoke through the prophets, but now we have something new and different. We have the son. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. Many prophets would come and they would fulfill it partially, but Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. He is the one who comes in and speaks for God and mediates our relationship with him. So Jesus is the one that the Old Testament is longing for, is looking for. And that's what we've been doing in this series, seeing how Jesus fulfills. But the question's like, okay, you, you kind of saw that coming, right? Like, here's our series. We know it's Jesus. But how is Jesus like Moses? In what ways does he fulfill this prophetic status like Moses? What I want to do is I want to real quick, I want to look at three different aspects of how Jesus fulfills this and how it helps us wrestle with our question. So the first thing that I want to do, I want you to see is that number one, he teaches what God says. He teaches what God says. Now, all the prophets would communicate for God. They would speak what God wanted to say to Israel at various times. And a lot of times the message was not positive. Like they're failing, they're falling short. But Moses, he's a little bit different. How is he different? He is the one who communicated the covenant originally, right? So if you go back in the book of Exodus, Moses, he, he led the people to Mount Sinai. And what happens there? They get the Ten Commandments. They get the law. That was exclusive to Moses. You see in chapter 19, like before he gets the Ten Commandments, God says to Moses, like, here's what I want you to say to Israel. Be a prophet. I'm going to give you the law. I want you to obey it. And if you do, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Moses right here is communicating the unique giving of the law. He's teaching what God says in, in the most grand sense here, like, ah, now Moses, he's the one starting the covenant. Jesus, when he shows up, we get in the Sermon on the Mount, his comment, one of the best phrases he, he makes in verse uh, 17 of chapter 5, he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. What you see with Moses, the giving of the law, I've come to fulfill that. That is what I've come to do. 
And then John 14, when, when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, he's, he's talking with them before he goes to the cross. And he's like, they want to see the Father. He's like, you've seen the Father if you've seen me. What I speak, I do not speak on my own authority, but what my Father is doing in me. He speaks for God in a unique kind of way. So what we see is that Jesus is fulfilling the role like Moses by teaching what God says in the fullest sense. So that's the first one. The second one, he intercedes before God face to face. So another place in Deuteronomy chapter 34, we see that that Moses has already died. This is kind of like an editorial insertion. It's like, okay, Moses has died. And in verse 10, we get this kind of description of, of who he is. There is not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Prophets would come, but none of them knew the Lord like Moses. Moses knew God face to face. You see, when he goes on that mountain and he's getting the law, he's meeting with God. He's in his presence in a unique kind of way. But more than that, you see him interceding. So in Exodus 32, the the people, they've been without Moses for a while. They get a little impatient. What do they do? They make a golden calf and they worship that image. They've already broken the covenant. And then Moses comes down and he sees what he's like, "You've, you've ruined it. You have sinned. Let me see that I can go back up to the Lord and intercede for you and make atonement for you. And so Moses, he goes to God and he says, don't blot these people out of your book. Don't take their lives away. If you're going to do that with anyone, do it to me. Moses intercedes on the people's behalf. Jesus does the same thing. We see that Jesus is the great high priest, the one who's interceding in our behalf The book of Hebrews chapter 7 talks about that. And it's because of him, because those he calls, he can save and intercede for us. He is pleading on our behalf. He is is mediating on our behalf. He stands before God saying, they're with me. It's because of me that you can accept and receive them. He is interceding for us. Because he's interceding leads to the third and final one, rescue. Moses was raised up to bring Israel out of Egypt. They were in slavery. They were in bondage. They were oppressed. And what does Moses do? He says, let my people go. The Lord wants the people to be set free. And he does all these signs and wonders. God works powerfully through him to rescue the people. They come through the Red Sea on dry land and he destroys Pharaoh's armies pursuing them. He rescues them. But what Moses does physically, Jesus does spiritually. Jesus brings the greater rescue Because he's interceding before the Lord, he is now able to rescue us. And so in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, we get this beautiful picture of the rescue. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We're enslaved to our sin. 
And he's brought us into the kingdom of the son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He rescues us from our sin. You see, when we aren't sure if we have access to God, what do we do? We try to assert our control. We try to coerce. We try to manipulate. We try to make something happen. And right there, we are living in our sin. See, God designed the world to be one of partnership between him and us. We trust him. But we, as human beings, want to go our own way. We want to decide this is how things go. And we want to control We want to produce our desires. We want to make the outcomes that we want happen. And we could try to control. And God steps in and says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And to fix it, I'm going to intercede for you. I'm going to become a human. I'm going to be born as a baby. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to lay my life down to the point of death for you. And so he sacrifices himself. He makes that atonement that Moses could never fully make. He makes us right with God. We see that he who, became, who had no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5. And in doing so, he gives us access. He gives us standing. We are the righteousness of God. We have rightness, right standing with him. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus came to do. He was born as a baby so that he could die and be raised to new life so that we might have right standing with God. This is what Jesus came to do. This is how he fulfills being a prophet like Moses. So, if you wonder, if you have those moments where you just, I'm not sure where I stand with God. Does he hear me? Is he listening to me? Does, does, is he close? Am I able to get to him? In Jesus, you have a resounding yes. It is not like the wizard, where we're not sure where we stand, where we're like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, it's not like that. He opens the door because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And in him, we are accepted and received. So if you just have those moments of wondering, if you said, Jesus, I trust you, you've walked through the door. If you say, Jesus, I'm aligned with you, you have access. Jesus, I make you my Lord and Savior. You have right standing with God. That is truth proclaimed over you. And so we're going to have these moments, whether in our past, our present, or our future, where we feel a little bit of that distance where we might wonder, how am I with God right now? Am I okay? Does he accept me? Do I have access? Yes. And so what that leads us to do 
I have two thoughts for you. Is we don't have to assert our control. We don't have to ma- manipulate or coerce God. We don't have to default to these other kinds of things. Rather, we receive from him. So if you've noticed in your life where it's like, okay, I, I want this thing to happen. So God, if, if I do this, then you gotta do this. Or God, if you do this, then I'll do this. If you have that kind of prayer life or that kind of um, operation in, in your, your faith walk, you can set that aside. We don't have to control him. We just have to receive from him. So what does that look like? Maybe two practical applications, if you will. How do we actually like live in this or embody it? The first one is this. Approach God boldly in prayer. Approach him boldly. Hebrews reminds us that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy. Christ is interceding on our behalf. He has opened the door. He says, come in, stand by me. You're with me. We can approach God boldly. If you feel like in your prayer life, whether you just kind of pray like, okay, God, I don't know if you're hearing me or I don't even know if I can ask this, wipe that all away and come to him boldly. You belong there because of Christ. He invites you in. He says, you are welcomed here. I hear you. So we approach boldly. Does that mark your prayer life? Do you see this kind of boldness or do you feel like there's more of a timidity, an uncertainty? Do you feel like there's a gap there? Jesus bridges that gap. And so you can come to him boldly. So weave that in, build that in, make that a part of how you pray. Come with boldness. That's the first one. The second one is that we don't have to coerce. We don't have to control. We don't have to bargain with God. Our lives are not lived in a way, it's like, okay, if I do all enough of the right things, then I'll get. It's not the way it works. We don't have to bargain with God. We don't have to put enough chips on the table to get him to respond in the right kind of way. Like, no, 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 we don't have to bargain with God. We don't earn anything from him. We don't manipulate to say like, okay, God, if I do this, then you're gonna do this. We don't do any of that. We don't have to do anything. Rather, we get to be with him. We get to be with him. And so if you come in in a prayerful posture of like, Lord, I want this sort of thing to happen, ask boldly. But the second thing is, we trust him for his outcomes. Sometimes we ask for something and it doesn't happen. What do we do in that moment? Oh, maybe I didn't do it right and I got to try hard. I have more faith or I wasn't living in the right kind of way. No. Wrong approach. If we don't get something, there's a reason There's something God is doing. Now, we live the right kind of life, not to earn anything, but as a method of response. This is who we are. Let's be who we are. We don't live in a certain way to get what we want from God. It's not the wizard. It's not a genie. He's our father 
who loves us and wants what's best for us. So we trust him for the outcomes. My family, we're living this right now. I shared last week, and if you weren't here, um, my, my wife's sister passed away about two weeks ago. And uh, we kind of expected it, but it was a little unexpected, at least for me, in terms of the timing. Um, but we were praying, like, Lord, heal her. Bring her through this. We were praying for that. We asked for that. And it didn't happen the way we asked for it. Now, you might want to come and say, oh, there's a reason. I kind of just said that, didn't I, I guess? Um, there might be a reason for this. And I don't know that that's quite the most helpful way. But I think maybe a way to think about it is that God is bringing good out of the evil. I mean, she's with Jesus now. What more could we want for her? Like, she, she was in this life and had a good life, but was suffering near the end. Like, now she's not. We can celebrate that. We feel the loss. We lament that. We know one day we will see her again. And while we want her here, God is working to bring about good in all of this. So we trust him for the outcomes. It's not what we want. It's not what we ask for. And if we were to do it again, I don't know if we'd, we'd want it to go the same way. Like, but we're trusting him. So if we don't get what we want, we trust that God knows best. He's working for our good. And he's going to bring things together in the right kind of way for our benefit. So we don't bargain with him. We don't manipulate him. We don't try to say, all right, God, if, if I'm going to do this, then you're going to do this. Like, that's off the table. We come boldly and then we trust. We release and we let go. So, if we're wrestling, if we're wondering, do we have access to God? What's my standing with him? And in that uncertainty, if we're not sure, do we respond out of, out of coercion, out of control? Jesus coming in the shoes of Moses wipes that all away. He gives us access and gives us standing with God. We don't need to work for it. We don't need to earn it. It is a free gift. So trust him. Receive your standing from him. Receive the relationship with him and release control. There, there we will find life with Jesus because he gives us access and standing with God. Would you join me for prayer?